guest is Bonnie Raitt and we begin our interview talking about the title of a brand new album, Just Like That. It's a very meaningful title, isn't it? It's a title that you appreciate more as you get older, I suspect. I do. I think so. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I couldn't have foreseen the last couple of years or that, you know, the four years before that were even <laughs> was ludicrous for us over here. But, yeah, we just couldn't have expect. I mean, I, I, eventually there was going to be some expose of the Black Lives Matter and Me Too. That was an incredible development. The climate change crisis has been turned up, turned up, turned up with the devastating fires here in California. And for you guys, yeah. un- unprecedented. It was just horrific to watch the news reports of what you guys had to go through down there. So- and then, you know, of course, the four years of uh, the Trump administration dovetailing, I uh, use the term loosely, into the election cycle of from hell for us. So yeah, was, and then and then let's have some COVID on top. And, and you know, in the in the past year since since the election, when things have I won't say they've got back to normal, but they've certainly seem uh, less maniacal and and calmer compared with the previous four years. And 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 uh, for you, you know, you were dealing with a number of causes, weren't you? And um, then yes, the whole, the whole COVID thing hit on top of all that. Yeah, I mean, there's a real income stream from people like me that tie their touring income to the groups that we support. But thankfully, the ability to do fundraising, people really stepped up that believe in the social justice and environmental causes and election protection. And, you know, I think I did a dozen benefits for a combination of that and elect Democratic candidates that were running for House and Senate. So it was... um, an amazing ability to record and raise money and attention from your house. So that that was something new that we weren't expecting, but certainly not the same level of income as if we were touring and actually being able to write bigger checks to these groups. Well, this commitment to causes is a long-running theme in your career, isn't it? I noticed that the No Nukes album and DVD was re-released late last year and something you were involved on in decades ago. Yes, it was. I mean, we're actually hoping to release that... Uh, get the DVD footage finished and it's all been transferred from film to, di- to digital, but we we still are in the process of editing that and getting the right uh, outlet to be able to put that out where people can really see it. But of course, Bruce Springsteen has just released his whole set, which yeah. is fantastic. But yeah, I mean, the No Nukes movement is still going strong for us here in the States. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of brittle, old, unsafe sites that are not protected and some that are here in California that they're threatening hopefully to close because they're right on the ocean and not that far from an earthquake fault. So, you know, it's folly to try to not switch over to safer energy means, you know, it's just crazy. But I think that, you know, the geopolitical nightmare of the fossil fuel industry and our access to natural gas and our dependent on fossil fuels makes it really tricky to try to talk people into fast tracking, getting safe energies the cheaper and, and more uh, available for regular people. So we just it's an it's a steady fight, but we don't have an alternative to climate changes here. It seems that there are more causes than ever that uh, you could devote your time to rather than one or two. There seem to be multiple yeah, that, causes these days, aren't there? Well, the election protection there, I don't know if you guys have been following what's going on over here, but they're hijacking the uh, the ability to even have your votes count, let alone access to voting in a way that doesn't discriminate between people of color and people, older people and people in um, the poorest sections of our 
country are going to have a harder and harder time getting to the polls. So it's it's a kind of a hijacking that I haven't experienced in my lifetime of the actual election process, let alone the ability to believe that science would be something we all agreed on. I mean, it's just unfathomable, the, the, the uh, spread of misinformation and the dangerous fascistic move uh, of the right wing to take over the whole election process. It's 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 a democracy itself has now risen to the fore of something that we have to protect even as much as the environment. Well, you've seen some interesting times in your career, which stretches way back uh, into the late 60s. And things were polarized then, obviously, with the Vietnam War. But I suspect that they're even more polarized now from and what from what you're seeing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's just less coming together, less belief. I mean, the the number of people that were elected even in this last round of elections that are sitting in the House are actually QAnon supporters. And there's many more people running, the Republicans are running for school board and county supervisors and local local governments to try to, they've even they've passed it now where the um, Republican controlled legislator, legislation, uh, excuse me, the branch of the government in the states is, can throw out election results if they want. So yeah, this is something that none of us could have foreseen. I hate to have this interview be so negative, but it is a, it is a, um, uh, my works, our works cut out for us. I mean, it's not the time to put your head in the sand and go, I think I'll just smoke a big doobie and, and uh, go retire. You know, it's not the time to do that. It's it's dismaying for all of us. I mean, there is no place on earth that's immune from climate change impact. And the climate refugees that will be swarming every border from, you know, areas that have been devastated, um, it's just going to be something we have to deal with. I know who's funding a lot of the, a lot of the, uh, the information and the social media, it's almost like goes beyond borders. Of course, they know that when you're trying to get your information from sites that are, that are just spreading misinformation and as if the good old days, you know, when everybody was like the country was belonging to white people, excuse me. I mean, I believe that there were some other people here before the Europeans got here. I mean, before we got slaves and before we fought for the West with Mexico and Spain, you know, the indigenous peoples of all the countries that were, uh, you know, it just makes a farce out of saying, let's go back to, you know, white supremacy. I mean, excuse me. <laughs> I watched him circle around the block, finally stopped at mine. Took a while before he knocked like all he had was time Excuse me ma'am, maybe you can help The directions weren't so clear I'm looking for Olivia's hand They said I might find her here Well, Bonnie, let's talk about music for a while you were yeah my blood pressure is already i'm just sitting here at the end of the day here i i just got to i got to play a dj for an hour of music of my favorite 16 blues tracks and i've been i've been recording the liners and the little bits of information about why i love etta james and that particular charles brown track I mean, it was really fun to go through, uh, but it was quite emotional because I was talking about people that I was friends with that are no longer with us. So um, mm. let's move over. Let's move over to music. And 
I'll open my heart again. Well, let's pursue that thought because I've recently been reading Dick Waterman's uh, biography, which came out a couple of years ago. And uh, you mentioned some of your favourite uh, blues singers or singers there. You had an incredible education in the blues early on, didn't you? I certainly did. I mean, I, I loved blues music from the first folk blues that I heard from the Vanguard Records Blues at Newport 64. It had Barney McGee and Sonny Terry and John Lee Hooker and John Hammond and Dave Van Ronk and, and uh, Reverend Gary Wilkins. I mean, excuse me, Reverend Gary Davis. And just amazing array of Mississippi John Hurt. I mean, I just couldn't even believe how much I fell in love with the country blues. And then, of course, the Brits turned a lot of us on to the Rolling, Sto- the Rolling Stones and other bands, turned America and the rest of the world onto Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf and Slim Harpo. And so there was a whole world of people celebrating the blues from the whole part of my 16, 17, 18 years old. And I practiced the blues guitar just for fun. And, my, and then... Who knew that I, at about 18 or 19, I was going to end up meeting Sun House and Mississippi Fred McDowell and Muddy Waters and Buddy Guy and Junior Wells and Big Boy Arthur Crudup. I mean, it was an astonishing gift to meet Dick Waterman and through his wonderful managing of these artists and keeping their price up so they weren't going to get ripped off. I got to travel with them a little bit and open some shows just as a hobby. I was just doing it so I could hang out with my heroes. And then because I played good guitar for a girl, I got my foot in the door and got a record deal. <laughs> There's a great description in, in Dick's biography of you meeting Howling Wolf and being completely overawed by it. Absolutely. Putting my hand up to shake <laughs> his hand and it was the size of a big seven foot grizzly bear. It was, I mean, the man was huge, but very, very handsome and very charismatic and very kind. But I mean, his voice was just ferocious. You know, I loved his music on record. But when I met him in the foyer of the Steve Paul's The Scene Club, he had like sweat dripping off him from his set. And it was under this black light. So everything, his sweat looked like fluorescent blue. So it was even more incredible to meet him that way. going to be going out on the road uh, with some of your favourite people, I imagine, Lucinda Williams, Mavis Staples, Chris Smither in a few months, and and one of my favourite bands of all time, although they're not as well known as they should be, NRBQ, doing some dates with you as well. I'm so glad that in this interview, Brian, that somebody's going to mention NRBQ because (laughs) it's really, you're so right, they're so underappreciated. 
And they're still, I mean, in every iteration of NRBQ with Al Anderson in there mm. as one of the lead singers and the guitar players, and now in Terry's re refashioned newer version of NRBQ, they're, they're also equally charming and one of the best rock and roll bands you'll ever hear. So I can't, I've selfishly put them on the tour, not just to expose my audiences that aren't familiar with them, but for all the fans that love them as much as I do, this is like a reunion. And I can't wait to hear them every night because they're so underappreciated as you say. Well, that is a fantastic thing you are doing because I think this is probably the highest profile bill they've ever been on. Yeah, and what you know, in all the in the previous incarnation, we toured a lot together, which was just a blast. You know, I mean, there is there's the Rolling Stones and NRBQ. That's it. You know, you could just you could just. <laughs> I mean, for you know, not not talking about blues bands or R and B bands or soul bands, but you know. Or pop bands, just in terms of if I could only have a couple, I think it'd have to be the Stones in an RBQ. Al Anderson, as you mentioned, is no longer with them, but Terry keeps them going. It's, it's a bit hard to describe their music to people who don't know them, isn't it? Because, you know, how many bands do a version of Sun Ra's We Travel the Spaceway? It's, you know, so it's it, little, exactly. You know. But there's there you can fall down, and we often do fall down the, the YouTube hole of NRBQ great live tracks over the years. And just I just recommend put up Get Rhythm with Al when, when Al and the band were together, just, you know, from the earlier days. They're just some fan. And of course, Joey was the magnificent bass player on Keith Richards' Hail, Hail, Rock and Roll, the Chuck Berry documentary that he made that was so great with all those great performances. He could have picked anybody for bass and he picked Joey. So, and, and you know, Al has gone on to become such a successful solo artist and songwriter. And I did three of his songs on a Slipstream album and this one that I did on my new album, Something's Got a Hold of My Heart, I've had for 30 years. And he only just the last few days have I called him and sent him a track of it. We had to wait until it was close to release to send it to the songwriters. But I was so thrilled to finally get to call the brothers, brothers Landreth and Al Anderson and Jonah Smith and John Capek and say, we really did cut your song. Here it is. Love struck 
Last, uh, oh gee, it must be five or six years ago now, you had Liz Stringer doing support and I think you were pretty impressed with some of Liz Stringer's songs. I was wondering if you'd uh, thought of doing any of her songs or how do you go about choosing songs for the album? Well, I love Liz and she keeps me posted with her new music and I, you know, I almost cut a couple of her songs. It just didn't fit exactly mm. with what I wanted to say at the time. For the, you know, I sort of put together the record according to touching the basis of all the things that I'm going to want to add to my show as well as saying something new and fresh and personal and um how do I find songs. songs? You know, some it's a, it's probably the most daunting thing of, of what I do, but also the most satisfying. I mean, some people write all their own material many, many decades in. Jackson Brown is still coming up with new things to say. I, I don't get, I don't know how he does it, but it's a, it's a miracle to me. But for me, I love the idea of mixing disparate styles, both on the record and in the show. So I, I have different avenues of things that I listen to. And, and mo- I start with the songwriters that I'm already, already really drawn to and art R&B and soul records and rock and roll records that I've always loved like I knew I was going to cut Jerry Rafferty's right down the line and I and I knew I was going to cut In Excess's Need You Tonight and they've been just waiting for them <laughs> waiting their turn for each record so some of it's you know I need a rocker I need a up-tempo funk tune I need I need two or three just heart crunch ballads and um and some, you know, reggae songs or blues songs. So I try to mix it up to try to give myself and my fans something from every genre that I love to cover. So it, and then what songs make it on the new record is just a question of, of uh, some of them just finally have found their day. And it, it all has to do with the whole record. I know people listen streaming one song at a time these days, but I'm, I'm old school. I like to put together a first side, a second side, and know that that record is really going to be well balanced the same way a show is balanced where you put showcase, you don't do Angel from Montgomery second, and you don't do I Can't Make You Love Me in the middle of a of, of a rock and roll section, you know? So it's, it, there's a certain skill to it that you develop from watching other people put together classic records and put together great shows. And, and I think I just learned how to do it early on because you, the audience will let you know if you blew it. There are also four songs that you have written or co-written, I think one with uh, George Marinelli, uh, Marinelli. And that, that I think that's just about the most that you've written since uh, Longing in Their Hearts back in 1994 for an album. So you must have been inspired to do some writing. Well, I did I did a bunch last on the last record. Um I think I almost I think I did four on the last record too. So um, but anyway, I've been, you know, it just depends on whether I have something to say that I'm, that someone else hasn't said better, or I'm not finding the songs that are covering a topic that I really want to, you know, like the song I wrote with George last time called Coming Round is Going Through. It was all about, you know, Fox News and just the demise of the people that think they can just take over. I'm, I'm not going to go down that path right now. But anyway, it's it. people thought I wrote it about Trump, but it was really written before that. And it's it's just, I like to write these serious topics and put a rocker to them, like Living for the Ones on this record. Mm-hmm. I wanted to write a, I wanted to write a song about what we've just been through and how we, how the hell we even can get through the day. You know, some days I just literally can't lift my head off the pillow and I just want to stay in bed and I watch movies all day. And 
I'm sure I'm not alone in that. But I, I know years ago when I lost my brother to brain cancer in 2009, he went blind in the months before and uh, couldn't walk in the end. And I was with him. And I just remember saying, just even waking up in the room next to him, and I could open my eyes and see out the window, and I knew he couldn't. It just, I mean, I'm going to stop whining for the rest of my life, thinking about all the people to walk again, or see again, or were cut down by cancer, or Alzheimer's, or whatever it is. It's just heartbreaking. So it's just not for the living to waste time, you know, whining about it. So I wanted to write a song about that. John Prine, well, you were onto his songwriting very early on. You mentioned Angel from Montgomery, but um, the song Down the Hall uh, on the new album sounds definitely as if it was inspired by John Prine's writing in terms of its style. I think definitely that that song um, was inspired musically by Paul Brady so much because I played it in open tuning and there was a little, a lot of Celtic kind of melody that when I write my ballads, I think I've got five or six of them that have that kind of Celtic tinge to them from the melodic sense. But I got that from early on. The first time was I was exposed to those kinds of melodies was Bob Dylan's early two records. And he said himself that he was very much influenced and took a lot of the melody from Paul Brady's version of Arthur McBride and the Lakes of Pontchartrain. And then Jackson Brown's first album was just an absolute touchstone for me on this record, as was John Prine's first album. Masterpieces, both of them, but just the simplicity of going back to playing acoustic guitar and letting the melody just wrap out around your guitar playing and just come out of you. So that those songs, especially just like that and down the hall, I was thinking of John when I put the music to him. I, I wrote the music to some lyrics that I wrote for both those songs in 2019, but I put the music deliberately right before I recorded this album in it. And I was thinking of John the whole time. And he was a real inspiration when I wrote the words too. Well, it's got a very powerful message behind it, hasn't it, down the hall? I think so, yeah. I mean, it, both of those songs have their roots in, in, in real-life stories that I saw on television for Just Like That about a woman that was meeting the recipient of her son's heart for the first time. And the news crew, the TV news crew, followed her into his living room. And he, she sat down next to him, and they got to know each other a little bit. And he said, would you like to put your head on my chest and hear your son's heart? And I just lost it. And I knew right then I was going to write a song about it. And then Down the Hall was spurred by a uh, New York Times Sunday Magazine article about the prison hospice program where volunteers from the prison 
population volunteer for no money or shortening of sentence or any benefit. They just volunteer out of the goodness of their heart to be there with these guys that are dying and very, very sick. And I was very, very touched by that article and knew I wanted to write a song about that right then. the flu in the prison infirmary my last day I looked up and saw a man wheeled around the corner down to skin and bones that's all I asked the nurse where he was going she said hospice down the hall he probably won't be in there long any day we'll get the call I've read that Waiting for You to Blow was inspired partly by Mose Allison, which is another one of your heroes. I've I've seen you yes. perform, perform his song Everybody Cry and Mercy on a number of occasions. And uh, 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 tell us about that song. Well, I mean, it's it's inspired really musically. I was really proud to stretch and come up with something that was something different than I had written before. And this was a hybrid kind of of jazz and funk together. And I, I came up with a, I knew I wanted to put that kind of drum feel with that funk rhythm section with kind of a jazzy piano chords and all with lyrics that were kind of like Randy Newman and Mose Allison when they take a satiric song and write something that looks comical on the surface, but has actually got some edge to it underneath. And I had an idea to write a song about how that little devil on your shoulder that's always urging you to mess up, whether it's, you know, returning phone calls or emails or telling white lies or, you know, going in and raiding the refrigerator and and staying up too late, all the ways that our character defects and our addictive behaviors, those of us that are are addicts would would be facing that that kind of not really a demon, but that temptation all the time. It's something you wrestle to the ground daily, even if you're not threatening being drawn to use again it's still those ways in your real life that you that you you make a slippery slope by deluding yourself or not not acting in the way that or paying attention to how you're treating people it's just all of that stuff's right up close and i wanted to write a song that had uh, it was kind of an interesting thing like like doing waiting for you to blow as a rocker i think waiting for you to waiting for you to i mean living for the ones as a rocker waiting for waiting for you to blow as a funk tune is is it's not something Thing you'd normally think about. I keep an anger cocked and ready, tucked in a styling holster. I draw the line in pretty colors, just dare some food across her. Don't simmer, though it's tastier on a boil The tongue stays nice and sharp The tighter she stays coiled Let's talk about those 
incredible musicians you, you're working with. Your band members have been with you for a long time. But one of the guests on this album and on the last album, unfortunately no longer with us, uh, Mike Finnegan. Great oh. to see him there. And uh, I've been lucky enough to see him on a number of occasions, a, a few times playing with Etta James. He's just an incredible talent. I saw him with Etta several times as well. What a monster combination that mm. was. I mean, frankly, there in my life, I have never heard anyone master the B3 or can sing like that and, and, and just galvanize an audience every single night, every performance he's ever given. With us for seven years of touring, I, I gave him his own solo spot in our show from the time he joined our band and it stopped the show every time. You know, that maybe the people look up and go, why is she doing this? And then all he had to do was open his mouth and that was it. The guy was just astonishing, a master on the instrument and one of the most soulful musicians that I've ever encountered. And and played on Jimi Hendrix's Electric Ladyland, which is incredible to think he said that breadth of a career. I know. Isn't it incredible? I mean, I, and you go back and read the early stories of his and look at the pictures. Thank goodness for the Internet and YouTube, because we can just fall down that that uh, that wonderful that wormhole that lets you go look into everybody's histories, whether they like it or not. But Mike, you know, I love looking at pictures of people in their high school bands. The other people in the band, including John Cleary, who plays on this album, they've been with you for a long time, Bonnie. It must be, it's not, I mean, it must be difficult to keep a band uh, together, particularly when there's no touring or anything like that. But it says something about your longevity and about your relationship with those musicians, really, doesn't it? I think it says something from it goes both ways. I mean, thank goodness they still like working with me. But I am so blessed that with my success of Nick of Time, I was able to invite Ricky to come back and see if he would go on the road. And he was living in Australia mm. for 10 years, the great Ricky Fatar. And, um, you know, I finally was able to pay him and I make it worth his while. And then Hutch had been with me since the early mid early mid 80s kind of. And, and I, he wasn't going to go anywhere because he knows that he and I are matched in terms of our musical breadth of what we love to play together. And he's this, he's a great singer, a great friend and incredible musicologist and so knowledgeable about, you know, Latin music and reggae and New Orleans music and Celtic music. He's just like a encyclopedia. So to have him with me all of these years has been a real gift. And the two of them together, are, I think, are one of the strongest rhythm sections. And there's other musicians that will say that. I mean, one of the greatest rhythm sections you'll you'll be able to hear in this lifetime is Ricky and Hutch together. And then George has been with me since... Um, the um, longing in their hearts he joined in the band and he's you know he's taking a little bit more time to work on his own career and coming off the road a little bit but on this next year of touring he's going to come out for you know three weeks here three weeks there and we have in our band a new keyboard player named glenn patcha mm. who is from a band but from a band called Olabel with amy helm and uh, also was playing with Mark Cohn and has toured with Roseanne Cash and Ry Cooter. And he's just an incredibly soulful singer. And I, I think his playing on one song on the record, Blame It On Me, is one of the most amazing performances on uh, since Mike Finnegan. You know, really astonishing performance. And that's those are big, big shoes to fill. And then, and then uh, Duke Levine from Boston is going to be in the, playing guitar with us on this tour as well. But Kenny Greenberg did a killer job on the album, and we were so glad to get back in the studio after not seeing each other for two years. You can imagine what that was like to finally have a band to play with instead of just recording solo in my house.
blame it on me Hold up my faults For all to see Truth is love's first casualty Blame it on me Blame it on me It's not the way love's supposed to be How can you so casually blame it on me? Someone who would have been on the album, I guess, and you've sung with before, and unfortunately, is that we're tending to. I'm sorry to talk about people who've left us, but Toots Hibbert, you, but you do. A Toots yes, yeah. yes, and we were going to do. We were going to record it together. We we're huge fans of each other, and we've done two duets together. One of which was on his Grammy Award-winning album "True Love." Is hard to well, "True Love," and that was aptly so. And he had just come back from recovering from that awful accident from about four or five years. He was sidelined and he came back really strong and sadly was struck down with what was probably a COVID related, but a terrible respiratory illness. And, uh, you know, too young, vital, and one of the most important and beloved, important stars of world and reggae music that Jamaica has ever created and a dear friend. And I just can't believe he and John Prine are both gone. Every day you say that you wish that I could go with you. Every night you keep on telling me that you wish that I could follow you. happened over the last couple of years and losing so many people does that put a kind of and as you get older as as we get older does it kind of put an extra urgency on what you're doing and an extra appreciation of you know what what you can do and of life itself i completely agree with you i think that it's so much even more precious to have your health and to have whatever family you do have left and the musician community were just People are, I mean, I tried to line up the people that I had lost in the last couple of years alone, and, and it was too many to even add into the list of 14 I included in the liner notes. So um, it's partly the age that I'm at 72. I mean, there's a lot of people succumbing to, you know, illnesses at this age, but also just the needless loss of so many during COVID that, are, that insist on being unvaccinated is putting a stress on our healthcare system that is just not there's a, there's people that are having to postpone procedures that they should to be able to prolong their lives. So 
just on a health level, I'm really aware of how grateful I am that I'm in good health and I'm taking much more care to do the things that are going to keep me active and my brain working. I do yoga and I hike and I try to eat right and, you know, try not to be too stressed out. But this, as we talked about in the early part of this interview, there's so many things that could cause you to just have anxiety and stress and heartbreak. And you just have to find ways to persevere and push through. And I cannot tell you how much I'm looking forward to playing live because that to me is the best medicine for me and the audience and our band. I mean, to be on the road and do what we love is the greatest antidote to all these hard times and anxiety and and I'll, I'll be playing for the ones that can't play, you know? There's so many people that don't have the luxury of touring because they're just, their sale, record sales are plummeting because nobody's buying CDs and they're not getting any money from streaming. So I know how lucky I am to have a career and I'm trying to bring as many people with me as I can. I, I want to just share how much I appreciate that one of the biggest areas of streaming in my whole history of streaming is Australia. Wow. That's great. Isn't, isn't that fantastic? I mean, more than places that in, that I would have expected, like in the UK. And, you know, I would have expected that the streams would be minimum because I don't get to Australia that often. But they're just jumping out the, off the charts here. I mean, not literally your charts, but, <laughs> you know, in terms of exceeding my expectations, it means that people over there really want us to come back and they're really enjoying my music. And I'm so, so grateful. <laughs> Just for fun Now you got me running from sun to sun Well the funny thing baby is that I don't mind You know a real good thing sure is hard to find That's why I'm singing a song Yeah yeah Oh no no It's an incredible band that can play, you know, your, your blues, funk, rock, anything, really. Are we likely to see you back in Australia within the next year? Because I know that your tour that you're about to start, which, as I mentioned, has an incredible list of guests, including Lucinda and Mavis and Chris Smither. Um, are we likely to see you back here? I hope we are. We are. We are coming. Hopefully, we'll be able to anchor our whole new, um, Australian trip with the Byron Bay. When I know this year you're going to be having all Aussie musicians, which is fantastic. I've got friends that are flying down there just to see that. And we are, you know, we're, had to touch base with our American fans this year, but because it's been since 2016, really, since we really played properly our, our headlining set. Because we spent a lot of uh, 2017 going abroad down to see you and going to Europe and. So we're going to do America this year, and then next year we're going to go to Europe and Australia, hopefully in time for Byron. Mm, well, that's great. We're really looking forward to that.
I asked Jackson Brown last year when I spoke to him about how come he'd never written a memoir or that, and he said it, he wasn't sort of his forte, he didn't feel comfortable. I'm surprised you haven't done something because you would have some incredible stories to tell. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Brian. I I have been asked for the last couple of decades yeah. and basically had people threaten saying this. They said, if you do not do it yourself, they will write the inaccurate. Mm. And after you're gone, people they'll interview people that shouldn't be talking about you and there won't be any way to fact check. So there was already an, uh, um, you know, I've done so many at length interviews for magazines like Performing Songwriter and your magazine and people, the Guitar Player Magazine. And, you know, it feels like all I do is talk about my history. And so I'm kind of tired of going there, you know, but uh, before I lose my ability to remember, I think it would be a good idea to at least put some stories down, even if I don't feel comfortable talking about my personal life or my family life. I think there's some stories about hanging out with the blues artists and activism. And, you know, God knows enough has been written lately in film documentaries about Laurel Canyon in the 70s. Oh, my God, there must be five of them out. But I don't know, like you, I'm, I've been really enjoying looking at people's documentaries. So I, it's either going to be a book or a film documentary, but I'm hoping to do it after this next touring cycle. Now, you could have a whole chapter on uh, Sippy Wallace or even John Lee Hooker, couldn't you? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, listen, it's been fantastic to talk to you and congratulations on another beautiful album. I'm sure it's going to do really well. We're looking forward to seeing you back. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Brian. All the best. It starts out slow. Let's go ahead and go. Pretty soon the melody is like a rainstorm tin roof symphony. But it starts out it goes on and on For way too long It always ends on a bad note If you could dance at all, you'd dance alone It goes on and on The quiet 
Raid from her album Just Like That, released at the end of February 2022. Bonnie was our special guest on this Rhythms podcast, and she also appeared on the cover of the May-June edition of Rhythms, which was the 30th anniversary edition, and coincidentally, Bonnie was also on the cover of the very first edition of Rhythms back in April 1992. The other tracks that we heard during our conversation from the album Just Like That when we say goodnight, here comes love, love so strong, blame it on me, waiting for you to blow and down the hall, along with living for the one. And as well as that, something got a hold of my heart. And a couple of tracks not from Bonnie Raitt's album, Flat Foot Floozy, say that fast five times, from NRBQ, fantastic band, who'll be doing some dates with Bonnie on her latest American tour, and Howlin' Wolf's Spoonful. And we also heard the title track just like that towards the beginning of the interview. Thanks for joining me on this Rhythms podcast. You can read all about Rhythms at rhythms.com.au and read many more features, including a new feature from the archives, an extended interview from with Buddy Guy taken from 2008 that appeared in Rhythms. Buddy will be touring early next year and also appearing at Bluesfest 2023. Rhythms.com.au